0: Hi, I'm Susie Lau. I'm a fashion journalist and this is Made to Last, the first ever podcast from Mulberry, the British label known for the beautiful leather pieces it has been creating for the past 50 years. When Mulberry invited me to host a podcast about leather to showcase the goals set out in their Made to Last manifesto, I saw it as a chance to discover more about the material and answer some questions. The Mulberry Made to Last Manifesto was launched a year ago as a commitment to transform the business to a regenerative and circular model with the aim of achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2035. I myself love leather and have no intention of giving it up. But what I would really like to find out is, can we love this material in a way that is responsible? In this series, I'll be talking all things leather, because that's what Mulberry's all about. I'll be hearing from everyone from leather lovers to industry insiders, as well as the people asking the difficult questions about the material, driven by environmental concerns. I'll also be asking, why do we love leather so much? How did it become so highly valued in the fashion industry? And how can it bring about positive change if we support regenerative farming practices? Episode two, Leather Pleasure. In this episode, we're looking at the pleasure of leather, why we love it so much and how it forms a part of our daily wardrobe. First up, I called up with my friend Brian Boy, a fashion influencer and editor who I've known personally for over a decade since we came up in the ranks through blogging 1.0. He's based in Stockholm, so we spoke over Zoom. Brian, thank you so much for joining me over Zoom. Um... I remember when you first started blogging, because we started around about the same time, you were always showing off your bag purchases. Um, When did that love of bags and leather goods come from? Like, did it really start very early on when you were quite young?
1: I think my love for leather goods probably started when I was about nine or 10 years old. Oh my God, as young as that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, believe it or not. Because I went to a Catholic school and we had to wear, you know, a pair of black brogues as our uniform. And at that time, you know, my parents would always, it's kind of like a ritual. You know, if you go to grade school, at the beginning of the school year, my parents would always buy me a pair of black brogues from a cheap. ...random shop in the Philippines. And, you know, the quality wasn't great. And I would say after about four or five months... ...you know, in... ...you know, my shoes would kind of, like, fall apart. It would start, you know... ...because the way it was made, my shoes... ...they weren't stitched like the way luxury brands do. You know, they were kind of, like, glued, glued... ...and then stitched once, that's about it. And then, you know, after... You know, using it for a few months, my shoes would just start to crack or kind of like... They would start laughing, you know, like your shoe would kind of like open in the front. And at that point, I was just like, okay, you know, my parents need to buy me like, you know, a good pair of shoes. These shoes don't last forever. It just made me started obsessing about leather in a way that there's a difference between a well-made shoe and a non-well-made shoe. Clearly, the, the school shoe that I've been wearing at that time when I was a child... It's just not well made. And I just started obsessing with leather goods. You know, it started from shoes and then into bags. And just the idea, you know, my first designer bag, I had to beg for my parents. I remember, you know, because I was like 15 years old. I wanted to have a certain, you know, bag. And my mom was like, when you graduate from high school, I'll buy you one. Well, clearly that didn't happen. So I had to buy my first designer bag. You know, when I was about 17, 18. And, you know, I just kept it for myself. And it kind of, like, to buy my own bag signified a lot of things. You know, I'm independent. I bought it with my own money. It's just something special. Like, your first leather designer bag, it's just something special. And you cherish it. So, yeah, you know, I, just, I started obsessing with designer bags from that point on. And there's a certain pride <laughs> that I that I feel inside when you know when i buy a leather product it's just you know an accomplishment
0: on our obviously our personal whatsapp group there is a (laughs) lot of chat dominated by bags and leather colors and different finishes and textures and you guys go very deep into it can you talk a little bit about i guess like the tactile pleasures of leather the episode's called leather pleasure um I mean, I know you literally get physically excited when you unbox things and touch things for the first time. It's like a bit of a fetish thing for you, I feel
1: <laughs> like. No, because, I mean, like you said it yourself, I mean, leather is such a tactile material, you know, like no two leathers are the same. Um, when you say leather, it can, kind of, you know, it, it, has, it has so many textures and... Because of modern technology and what we have now, leather can be produced in so many ways. I mean, you can get it extremely smooth. You can get it, you know, to kind of have like, you know, um, a certain texture that kind of like scratch proof. There's so many different types of leather. There's so many types of finishes and again, you just have to touch it. You know, it's so different when you see a leather product online or on, when you're on your phone. You know, sure you see a leather bag, sure you see a leather shoe. But to touch something, it's just so exciting. <laughs> it's You're right, it's almost fetishistic kind of pleasure. But you just have to experience it to yourself, you know. I mean, to touch a leather bag, the smell of it, even when you go to a store, you know. The smell of new a new leather item—it's just orgasmic and it's exciting.
0: <laughs> orgasmic. Let's let's that rest, let's rest on that. Let's pause for that on that for a yeah. second. Um, but you are also so good at like uh, in a way that I'm not. I think when you like see a certain leather girl or see a certain leather and you're like this is a good leather or this isn't a good leather." you're very good at like discerning quality as well is that just from like your years of experience of just seeing the stuff buying the stuff
1: I, I, yeah it, it definitely comes from years of experience I mean you know when I buy a leather product of course you know it has to stand a test of time and meaning I don't buy... Sure, you know, you see me obsess about a lot of bags, a lot of shoes, and a lot of leather products. But, you know, believe it or not, I always wear my old stuff, you know? That's the core tenet of being, you know, sustainable and responsible. Just because I buy, you know, when I when I buy a leather product, I want to make sure that I can use it forever, <laughs> I would literally go to my storage. I mean, it's so funny, you know, I'm going to the Philippines this weekend and I went to my storage um, four days ago to bring stuff in there. And I also, I kind of have a policy. If I bring something, I'm going to take things out, you know? And I've taken pieces out from 12 years ago, from 14 years ago. I grew up with certain, you know, with certain bags from the past. And I think it's really exciting that, A new generation is giving them a second life, you know? Mm. I mean, same with me. I mean, I want to give my old bags and my old leather pieces a second life the same way that they're doing it now, you know? So I think it's really exciting to revisit a lot of old pieces. And leather really lasts for a long time.
0: Mm. Do you like the way it changes over time as well? Because I've got bags that obviously have like gone a bit like they've di- not discolored, but you know they have changed because that's just what happens.
1: I mean, they, they, they always change. I mean, it's funny when it's not just leather bags. You know, even with a leather jacket. You know, I find it. I find it more interesting when I go vintage shopping, for example. And I would buy leather jackets. I fi- I like to see some leather pieces have a little bit of wear on them. You know, not everything has to be perfect. You know, some leather types—they're extremely heavy and stiff when you when it's new, but then over time it becomes soft and supple. You know, one can say, "Oh, it kind of looks worn," but there's a certain charm to it. You know, that's a good thing about leather. I mean, it ch- the way it looks will always change over time, and it's beautiful that way. You know, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like it has a life of its own. Mm. I mean, I brought out one of my mulberry Alexa bags, still in amazing condition. I have a yellow Alexa bag. And, oh. no, I mean, that's the thing, it, it, it's it's an iconic piece. So I love the idea of resurrecting old pieces. And, you know, it's something that we should be all be doing.
0: Do you think leather will ever stop being desirable in the sort of context of obviously people are looking at leather alternatives, the rise of veganism and, you know, a lot of shifting attitudes and...
1: I don't think so because it will always... I I believe in integrity of, of product and I do believe that leather is definitely one of the most sustainable and renewable materials out there. You know, if I buy an alternative, if it's made from plastic, you know, I'm sure you've seen all the news where, you know, plastic is definitely one of the sources of pollution, you know, in the world. And, you know, I'm on the camp where I I, I would rather buy a renewable product, material, rather than something synthetic. So it's just... You know, it's great that we have freedom of choice and alternatives that we can choose whether we want leather or or a leather, you know, alternative. But I, I do believe in product integrity and, and leather is going to be desirable for forever.
0: Thank you so much, Brian, for joining me. Oh, it's um. a pleasure. <laughs> Next, to talk about the pleasure of leather, it's on to British television presenter Makita Oliver. Makita grew up near Portobello Road, the famed market in West London, and has always been obsessed with secondhand pieces and the stories they tell. I've been told you're a charity shop obsessive.
2: Yep, yeah, it runs deeply through me, Susie. Talk to me about the rummaging. How bad is it? To the point where I don't even really like shopping with other people. (laughs) It's more of like me and the hunt. And I really believe in trusting your gut and your instincts. And I think that buying secondhand clothes lends that to the way you shop. Like you, you can't, you're not going to look for a hoodie in your size, a skirt in your size. You're just going to see what you're drawn to and going for it and trusting yourself and not kind of following the herd as it were i have no interest in that
0: so i like a random rummage and a hunt too but it can get very like meandering where you're just sort of like looking 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 and you don't quite know what you're looking for and then when you don't find anything then you get really like frustrated (laughs) and depressed and depressed (laughs) and then
2: you're like no i have to find something yeah i think with that you have to remember that every kind of every day out in you know when you go out shopping every day is different and sometimes you don't find what you're looking for and that's okay that's OK. I can let it go. You can let it go because go who home. knows what will happen the next time. Just like life. It's like don't expect it to look like you thought it would. And don't expect it to excite you and please you in the way that you thought you would. You never know. This is you might be deep. Like, it is deep. <laughs> I told you, Susie, it runs deep.
0: Um, so tell me about growing up in West London, which I personally think is probably charity shop heaven
2: yeah well i grew up in labrick grove right by portobello market but obviously at the time it wasn't like portobello market it was just the market um so i was sort of used to wearing clothes from the market and um, my grandmother has always shopped in charity shops and showed me very early on that it wasn't an, an uh, another way to shop or a, a lesser way to shop it was where just it was, oh the way it's where you bought your clothes and then my mum was poor and we lived in west london surrounded by charity shops so she would just dress me in clothes from charity shops when i was a kid if i had any of those clothes now oh my god such great outfits but i think growing up around that market made me look into the idea of stories within clothes and uh, people's histories and lives living within items of clothing i've never really liked fashion but i love clothes and i think mm. it's because i love people and i love stories I kind of totally get that because
0: I grew up near Camden mm. and you know my first foray into like clothes and fashion wasn't wasn't through like labels but like just personal style and expressing yourself yeah. and and I'm
2: sure it was the same around Portobello as well, just these characters around the market. Well, also just around West London in the sort of like late eighties, it was a really like, you know, melting pot of different cultures and class and, and people. And I was very lucky to grow up in that kind of environment. And I, I saw people every day using clothes to create identities and also to use clothes as your voice and as your power and also to have fun. Like, everyone just enjoyed getting dressed when I, was, when I was growing up, so I just always have seen clothes as real enjoyment, and I find it quite thrilling getting dressed.
0: So tell me a bit about one of your
2: favourite pieces that you've ever found. Mm. Um, well, I was filming the Cheltenham Literature Festival with my mum, and uh, I'd been wearing, like, my clothes the whole time, but... All my clothes are secondhand clothes. But then I wanted something really special for the last episode. So I just went out in Cheltenham. And God, boy, do they have good charity shops. Um, Really? Cheltenham. Okay, noted. Always an English town um, or city. And uh, I went in and just the first thing I saw was this charcoal grey men's suit and I tried it on it just fit me like a glove and I realized that it actually made me think of my uncle Sean my mum's brother who passed away many years ago but who had style Susie like style it. yeah I felt like I was kind of looking for him that day in a weird way and I felt like I found him and it just fit in a way that made me feel like he was with me or something and that's my favorite suit now and I love it and I wear the waistcoat on its own I wear the trousers on their own I mean they're just like perfect like pleat for, just on point, right to the ankle. That's very, that's <clears throat> very like rare that you
0: would find like a suit that would fit
2: perfectly as well. It found me. It found me
0: and i hear you've also got a collection of leather jackets like yeah. that you that you found in your
2: in your many rummaging no okay what happened is i had the best collection of leather jackets ever but then my parents when i was moving house once left a bag of my clothes outside their front door and i was like and it went it got stolen i was like just which bag was it it's cool but like which bag and it was the leather jacket bag like out of all of the bags and Why? there was like 20 from the age of like 14 to, to 30 oh, okay that's quite an extensive collection it's so heartbreaking. Not, yeah so heartbreaking so i had to start again so i've only been uh collecting because it was hard to start again i've only been collecting leather jackets again for about six years but i've got i've really realized how much i've evolved in my leather jacket taste and style mm. i never liked a high street leather jacket i always liked second hand mm. ones um but i used to be more into a bikery style then i got a bit more like phil and grant mitchell like kind of like oh, long like more more uh, blue, blue like like blousey. yeah like, no 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 more like, like play loose. more yeah. like no more like bouncer leather yes, jacket yes, like, yes long yes, yes. to the ankle straight yes. Um, But because I'm not like a bald white man, obviously it looked different. Kind of almost like Matrix-y as well. Yeah, yeah. Longer
0: styles. Totally.
2: A little bit like that. And now I'm into a sort of, um, the one I'm wearing today is kind of like a 90s Carolyn Bessett Kennedy kind of neat, straight Calvin Klein 90s Yes, that's Mm. a
0: good, that's a good vibe. Mm. Um, So I see you've got a few mulberry bags. Let's talk through... some of the ones, yeah, some of your
2: favorites. Well, yeah, well, the reason I'm laughing is because one is so loved, it's <laughs> so mash up, um, but I still use it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, like a all, the classic kind of olive brown one. It's Look at it. It's Scott. been through so
0: much with me. <laughs>
2: Look
0: at the that, is, that is a proper, that is a proper weekend
2: yeah. bag. Look at it, poor thing. But it's just gorgeous, still gorgeous. And I think it really, I mean, if you want to talk about leather aging, well, this is probably 20 years old. Did you know that you can actually get that fixed at a Mulberry repair centre? Did you know I, that? I thought it was an urban Mulberry myth, but now I feel like it really is true and there's someone that can fix this zip. But the Bayswater... This is kind of like the new Shika, a little bit smaller, neater Bayswater, which I absolutely love. But the original Bayswater that we all had in like yeah. 2007 Bayswater, or maybe even five. There was, there's always been a Bayswater moment, mm. but like
0: 2007 or 8, there was a. There was, it was, it was this. Yeah. It? it was the army now, of this. How do I illustrate this? It is the arm hold, like you've the got hook. like the hook. The arm hook with the bag. It's the Nicole Richie, yeah. ho- Paris Hilton holding a bag mm. like this. And we And yeah, we, all did, so we all we, fell for it. We all
2: did the same. <laughs> we all did it. It was actually at party just sort of Bayswaters talking to Bayswaters. <laughs> <like this. laughs> but I loved it, I loved bag that bag and I felt like a grown-up. And I think there's something about Mulberry that makes you feel all grown, even mm. if you're really not, that you have your Mulberry bag. But you can still bash them around. Yes. like you've done with your hold all so dedicated <laughs> to showing how sturdy your mulberry bag is i've dragged it around for 20 years just for this moment really thank you makita
0: for talking to me about rummaging <laughs> you, the indeed. hunt and giving a deeper meaning to all of that
2: mm-hmm. thank you're you welcome so much.
0: you're so welcome Finally, I'm speaking to the wonderful London menswear designer, Nicholas Daly. Nicholas was recently invited to create a limited edition capsule collection of bags and accessories for Mulberry, bringing together his unique take on music, subcultures, and craftsmanship. As a designer who works across lots of different materials and different categories, what would you say is special about leather?
3: I think um, for me, leather is just one of those materials which is, uh, has a sense of timelessness, which I think is very important in an age where we are moving at a very fast pace, whether that's on social media or our lives or just globally. So I think, you know, as a designer and a, as a creative, you're looking at these materials which can be used to translate my story and narrative. And I think that leather is a perfect material to do that. And I think throughout human civilization, you know, the artistry and the craft of how different cultures globally have used leather products or goods to tell stories and to show their cultural identity is like mm. really amazing and really powerful. So I think as a designer, looking both past and present and leather being this kind of uh, connecting material, I think is like really, really, really interesting. And I think from my research, you know, uh, from day one, I walked into the Mulberry headquarters and I'd given them some reference images of the things which I liked or what I wanted to do. And I was just so blown away by the amount of trims and finishes and uh, vintage archive pieces they had. And for me, it was a bit almost overwhelming Mm. (laughs) because like, you know, uh, as a designer, I think editing and picking out those key features and details is like what sort of sets you apart. um, Being able to edit and to really refine on the product the narrative and the story
0: so i see you've actually got one of the pieces uh from your collaboration with mulberry come on hold it up let's give do a show and tell
3: yeah this is from the uh the anthony family so this was the the bag which um or the range which mulberry had asked me to add my own dna on so it was really great we worked on the postman's lock which is also very iconic to mulberry and we um Reinverted it and added more stitching details the cotton we've used is actually uh, one of the sustainable um uh fabrications which we wanted to make sure was part of it yeah we did a lot of piping and obviously the whip stitch which is obviously like was very a strong sort of leather detailing which we saw across a lot of the references um Mm. you know sort of that kind of 70s like late 60s kind of bags and leather goods which obviously i was talking about with some of the references like the periods which we were looking at and then, uh, yeah, we added on, like, more pocket details. And then even the trim finishes, you know, we sourced these and developed them with, with Mulberry. These slightly more kind of, like, Western kind of uh, 70s trim just to make it feel all sort of complete. And then, um, yeah, inside as well, we've got the jewel the jewel logo. And, yeah, it's uh, it was really fun. Um, and even down to the sort of, like, fringing details here because I think I wanted to make the capsule feel like if that... M- if that artist or wearer was wearing it there's this sense of like movement and, and like mm-hmm. energy so um that that ran across the rest of the range um in terms of these like modular pieces which could be attached or just put onto a key ring or etc
0: so interesting how you kind of highlight craft i guess you know when we think of craft we think of it as like something with a tangible product and obviously that's a shared value that you have with mulberry um that your appreciation for craft but that you see craft as this broader thing you know that it can be uh, obviously across different platforms
3: yeah definitely i think it's everything's sort of interconnected and i feel that the raw material of leather is that connecting point where i can pull all these other elements to it you know sonically physically through the cultural narratives and make something really rich i mean you know we we made uh a guitar strap and a leather plectrum and a saxophone strap, um which I think were all new territory for uh for Mulberry. For Mulberry. You took um, them
0: yeah, took them into a different field there.
3: But then it's amazing, you know, we had Mansoor Brown and Nilifa Yanya and Nabea Iqbal and so many other artists who have been wearing these particular leather, uh items which which we've collaborated on and then seen them perform on stage and elevate their music or make them feel A slightly different sense of power through that product for me I feel that's like my my kind of um, duty you know as a designer and 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 out of respect of these other collaborators who I'm working with or I want to see them use use these items I mean in effect the collaboration was almost creating this wardrobe or this idea around these musical references and friends and collaborators and building this wardrobe if Shabaka was going to Coachella or playing at um you know different festivals like what would he be wearing or Mm. what would he need how can I elevate these people with um this product and through this collaboration and using leather as this kind of um uh glue which kind of brings all these sort of references together
0: I mean how do you go about approaching a heritage brand like Mulberry you know as well as having like kind of common common ground you know it, it can also be uh intimidating somewhat
3: Yeah I think for me like um, I coined um, the three C's community craftsmanship and culture so those three strings is kind of what I bring into every project and I think um, that's what I feel is the most sort of power uh, like in terms of my brand and how I'm pushing myself away from maybe some of my counterparts is because I'm going in so deep on you know the person who's wearing it the collaborators involved and obviously the craftsmanship um you know that's something which I really believe in and I think it has such an importance in terms of making a really good product like we spent so much time developing the the capsule different pocket combinations using different suede and leathers Mm -hmm. and trims and
0: so beyond its physical properties what are some of the cultural signifiers of leather for you Like any kind of leather moments in pop culture um, that stand out for you?
3: Yeah, I I think um, there's always a a sort of connection with culture and around how I've developed this particular collection with Mulberry. And um, obviously the musical references are really strong. That was always like a starting point. Uh, These icons culturally have made waves you know, politically, socially and creatively. So obviously we look at a lot of Jimi Hendrix, Roy Ayers, um, a lot of like uh, 70s, early kind of 60s references across, like in particular within like the black community, but also just the wider the wider kind of sense, these kind of people who I look up to, um, both from a creative and like a like a cultural sense. Even down to the hats, like I knew straight away that we wanted to do some hats so we did the patchwork bucket hat and we also did the the tam which i'm wearing which is obviously i don't w-
0: think i've ever seen you without a hat on i have just realized
3: <laughs> the hat game is very important um but obviously you know with my west indian heritage and um a lot of my uncles and my dad you know you've got to be suited and booted you've got to have the trilby mm. the clerks. everything's looking sharp so I think without knowing it I'm all, I'm automatically thinking about not just the bags but the whole look and the whole narratives of these particular styles which have um, referenced through into this capsule collection. So there's obviously a, a lot of fringing details on the bags which was immediate reaction from just looking at Jimmy on stage at Woodstock with his amazing suede leather jackets and performing and you know, he was such a, such a revolutionary um, as an artist mm. and breaking down so many barriers, you know, culturally and sonically. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just really kind of important, you know, not just with the, the current collaborators, but also those elders, which I would say, who have always inspired my work. And I guess culturally that all sort of brings it through into the product and into the overall imagery mm. and sort of vision.
0: Thank you so much, Nicholas Daly, for being here.
3: No, thanks for having me. Pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and join me next time when I speak to experts about the future of leather manufacturing and how leather, a co-product of the food industry, can be part of a sustainable future. Made to Last is co-production between Mulberry and Danielle Redoichin at In Talks With. The theme music and sound design is by Warren Borg at Wargy Productions. To find out more about Mulberry and its Made to Last manifesto, as well as its sustainability goals, head to mulberry.com or join the conversation online via at mulberryengland on Instagram. Until next time. I'm Susie Lau and you can find me on at Suzy Bubble on IG as well.